Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. We are on episode 25. Episode 25! Say, are, do you have a song to go with this, Ollie? Today is episode 25. It's the quarter century for the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. You didn't practice that. No, I didn't. That was right on the spot. <laughs> Conrad, you put me on the spot. And I am AJ Conrad, and this is Ali Matu. How's it going, Conrad? It's going great. I'm super excited about today's episode. What are we talking about? We are talking about Orphan Black. Orphan Black? Yes, but not with that terrible accent. No, more of a Canadian BBC America accent. True, true. Um, and... In the crossover chamber, we are going to be pitting Orphan Black against Dollhouse. This will be interesting, it revisiting uh, Dollhouse. It's been a while. Uh, we've got top five female assassins. That'll be fun to talk about. I'm all pretty those. excited. It's going to be a cool one. But uh, before we get to Orphan Black, um, we just wanted to thank all of you for helping us get to 25 episodes. I know. I can't believe it's been 25 already, but it's been a very fun ride. Oh, my so. gosh. It's been so much fun um, having these conversations with you, Conrad, having these conversations with the listeners. All the top five discovering all this new media that I have. It's a little overwhelming at times. But For nerds like us who need to immediately watch or listen or <laughs> yeah, read yeah. whatever referrals come in. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, but yes, no, thank you, everybody, for being so supportive and for all of your ideas. This has made it a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to 25 more episodes. Yeah, we'll do a bigger anniversary one when we hopefully get to episode number 50. Um, but be until then, um, please let us know um, what you think of the show. Um, please do tweet us at Nerd Hour on Twitter. Um, and if you have any feedback for the show, things you like, things you like change, give us an email at info at Super Fantastic Nerd Hour or let us know. Give us a, um, a rating on iTunes. We'd love to get some more ratings um, in there. That'll help more people discover the show. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So... Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now on to Orphan Black. Orphan Black. Um, this show is really interesting. And I think we got to start at the beginning, the, the origin of this show. Um, what's so cool to me doing the research for this show, um, for our show about this show that we're talking about, is how nerdy the producers, the creators of this show are. They kind of grew up watching all these fantastic shows, whether it's Star Trek or they started uh, the, watching Star Wars, A Six Million Dollar Man, Speed Racer. And the whole idea for this show came from um, the producers watching Memento. And they loved how um, that show, that film kept you on the edge of the, your seat. And you had to constantly always be thinking and trying to keep the facts straight of this mystery and how this individual was trying to understand his identity and his character. And they watched Memento and originally had that idea for a film. And then later, they're watching Battlestar Galactica and they love the ideas of these multiple versions of the same, same model. And the whole idea of these uh, repli replicant-type characters. Mm -hmm. And that's where Orphan, Bla Orphan Black came to be. It was the whole idea of uh, what they call the clone shenanigans. Hmm. Which is so cool to, to think about how geeky these, uh, these fellows are. And uh, the show premiere season one came out um, March 2013. We just wrapped up season two, which started uh, April of this year, 2014. 
It's a Canadian BBC America show. Um, not too sure where it takes place. The creators wanted it to be in quote generica, um, but it's filmed in Toronto. It's filmed in Toronto, <laughs> and to me, it does feel very Canadian, and just how the city and the people in it just feel very Canadian. So it maybe, feels very Canadian, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, season three, though, has not yet been renewed. So I. I it hasn't been renewed for for another season. I hope it is because yeah. they there were definitely cliffhanger upon cliffhanger reveal uh, within this particular episode, or the finale anyway. Hopefully, we'll get a season three, and if so, probably will come out March twenty um, fifteen. I can't I can't expect it not to be renewed. This is a critically acclaimed show. Uh, it's uh, the lead actress here, Tatiana Maslany, is. Amazing, and we're going to get into how amazing she is. And she may be exhausted at this point. Oh, she may be. She might be kind of tired because she works really hard in this show. But she just won back to back Quick Choice Awards. Um, so th- this show is critically acclaimed. It's got great ratings. Uh, it a huge, huge fandom called hashtag Clone Club. Hello to all the Clone Clubbers are out there. Um, I am definitely a part of the Clone Club now. But Conrad, how did you get exposed to this show? How did how did you? Um, you know what? Out? I know somebody recommended it to me because I was talking about. Um, I forget what I was saying that I liked so much, um, and I was looking for a new show to get into, and somebody just mentioned this offhand, um, and I will. I'll. Put it, I'll give them credit if I can remember, or, or if you're listening, let me know. Um, <laughs> but um, it, I started to watch it, and, and Bill actually was very unhappy when I first started to watch this because he, you know, it's a, it's kind of a slow burn in terms yeah. of the information that you find out and putting together the mystery yeah. or the puzzle, like the you know all the all the things that cause the intrigue in the show. You're kind of figuring things out piece by piece, and different mysteries get unveiled. It's very lost like in that way it it is and that's one of my uh, favorite things about it yeah, yeah and which is probably why i like it as well but yeah. for bill he just wants he wants the mystery solved you know so <laughs> um he did enjoy the second season a lot more than the mm. first um but the first season there was definitely a lot of me being like just just watch one more episode with me just watch one more and, and you know he he's he was he was accommodating about that so, so. did you watch it when season one was airing? Yes. Oh, yes. wow. So you got into this last year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I just did... A, I, I watched season two, but I was definitely behind, so I just binge watched most of the season today, in fact, so <laughs> to finish it up. So I, it's all A super fantastic marathon. Yeah. Um, although I will say, you know, so so Bill being forced to watch the, the binge watch with me actually said he enjoyed it a lot more as a binge watch than season yeah. than show by like week by week. So yeah, it works a lot better that way. And, and I, I think many of these genre shows now and, you know, I don't even know what genre we're talking about here because there's there's a conspiracy element to the show. There's a procedural element. There's a sci fi mythology very mm-hmm. similar to Lost to the show. It's blending a lot of genres together. But it, it, it is one of those shows where um, it is very serialized and you need to you need to follow events very closely to pick up on what's happening. I, I don't think people can jump into season two and no. enjoy it or understand it. You need to go back to the you beginning. You have to watch season one. Yeah, you know, my introduction to Orphan Black wasn't too different from yours. However, it happened far more recently. Um, a Twitter friend of mine, Miles Brundridge, 
he um, he and I sort of met on Twitter a few months ago, and we were, he published a great article about um, the sort of robotics and the artificial intelligence of Battlestar Galactica, and we connected over that. And he said, by the way, have you ever seen Orphan Black? You need to check out this show. If you like BSG, you'll probably like Orphan Black. Hmm. I'm like, what is this show? I haven't heard about it. And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh, this sounds interesting. Well, and I think you and I talked about it, and you, yep. were, you were definitely... You were a little skeptical going in, probably yeah. also because Bill was a little skeptical. And he gave his two cents <laughs> yeah, yeah, when we yeah. were talking about it. But we were talking about it, and Bill said, "I don't know if I like this show or not. I have mixed feelings about this show." And you know, my what makes me hesitant to take on new shows is there's so much stuff in my queue, Conrad. There's I know. so much stuff. There's stuff I have to watch for the show, uh, for our show. There's stuff I have to watch for the blog. Um, there's stuff. And then there's just the stuff I want to watch just to zone out a bit. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard for me to take on a new show. Um, but I know. I know you love your Downton Abbey. Oh, Downton Abbey. I do love, I do love a little Downton Abbey. I, <laughs> I like feeling very fancy. Um, <laughs> but I, much like what we discuss with edge of tomorrow i wanted to check it out because you were really encouraging me to check it out and like you like miles like many other people in my life and gosh i i became hooked not immediately i'd say probably around episode four or five when the clones really and we should you know the gist of the story well first of all lots of spoilers so if yeah. you're in, if you haven't seen this yet and you're interested please do Turn this off, go watch it, yep. and come back, because we are spoiling the heck out of it today. So, yeah. you know, there. I'm just throwing that out there before we get really into spoilers. But yeah. yes, it is a show about clones. Yeah, and go watch it. Thank you for that, Conrad. Right before I was about to spoil the first episode. I mean, the premise of this show, um, a woman named Sarah uh, becomes a, uh, aware that there's another person who looks just like her. She commits suicide. She uh, Sarah then um, starts... And, and Sarah's a little bit of a grifter. She's a little bit of she a is. scammer. She She's... You know, just kind of like always looking out for a mark and looking for people who she can take advantage of to her yep. own advantage. She's definitely rough around the edges. She's an anti-hero. Yes. She's not definitely someone who is um, your your typical heroic person. And she, Sarah, now takes over the life of Beth Childs and starts mm-hmm. living her life. Who is a cop. Who is a cop. Which is a little interesting yeah. given that Sarah is absolutely not a cop. And that brings in some of the procedural elements right. of the show. And you, it's really fun to see... Um, to see Sarah trying to impersonate and figure out Beth's life. And the point at which I really got into the show is when um, Sarah starts discovering the other clones and Mm -hmm. the clones start working together. Right. That's the show for me. Um, I liked that part, but I also liked the part where, you know, they're working together, but you're also seeing some common elements, um, which gets... I know that we're going to talk a little bit later on about nature versus nurture and things like that. Um, But just seeing how some of their common traits show themselves within the show, I thought was really interesting, Um, specifically with relation to the soccer mom clone, who is is Allison. Um, (laughs) Some of her some of the things that she does are just hilarious unintentionally. Well, and what are the some of the common traits that you see for these? Um, what I, is it about this model? I think or? I think they are a very impulsive group. Yeah. Um, and a very emotive group. So, 
you know, Allison is a soccer mom and she's very focused on, on being sort of a um, Martha Stewart like person. Yeah. So everything needs to like she's very has a lot of control issues and things like that. But she also carries guns around and, and knows a gun dealer and, you know, um, does some really crazy things. And um, when I, I will I'm, this is a huge spoiler, so I'm just going to go for it. But there is a person that she thinks is her monitor, which is yeah the per, the people that are basically part of a of the conspiracy, part of the corporation. And each of the clones have a monitor that is there to watch over them, make sure they don't get into trouble, to basically orchestrate uh, different types of experiments and samples coming from them and things like that. Allison thinks her monitor is one of these other women in the neighborhood, and she doesn't quite kill her, but she also doesn't help her not die. It's it's uh, manslaughter, I guess? Yeah. It's, it's letting uh, her... D- she can save her, but she doesn't. Yeah, so basically the person, the woman... And this woman, I would say was a frenemy of hers. Oh, totally. Um, totally. And so she, she, there's an accident with a scarf and a, and a disposal. Garbage disposal. <laughs> and, and she just, so there's like weird stuff like that. Like once she makes up her mind and then, you know, and then, it, and then she'll go and she'll suddenly like shotgun a, like a, sh- like a little like bottle of vodka, yeah. you know? Yeah. So <laughs> it's all these like weird things. Um, but you could also see like Sarah doing not quite these same things and probably doing it in a different way, but coming to the same conclusion. I think, I think Allison actually says at some point in season one or two, um, I guess impulsivity is a genetic trait of ours or something <laughs> like that. And we see that with Cosima. We see that with some of the other clones. They do sometimes make these impulsive decisions. I think you're also talking about something else that's interesting about this show that we were uh, alluding to earlier is the blending of genres here. Sometimes I feel a little desperate housewives mm-hmm. with uh, with the Allison character. But, but then but there's little, an arc. But, but a little poking fun at yes. that genre. It's yes. definitely a little bit of a parody going on. Or, or just like taking it to a total extreme. Yeah. I sometimes see a little weeds there too. Oh, well, totally. Yeah. Totally. So, um, well, and, and it's, uh, you know, I, I want to talk about Tatiana, but before I get into that, I also want to say um, one of the other things that got me hooked on this show is the reveal of Dr. Leakey. Oh, <laughs> because you know what? Um, Dr. Leakey is played by Matt Fr- uh, Frewer, who and, was Max Headroom, and, and and he was in Star Trek: The Next Generation, right? And, in the episode "A Matter of Time," and he was in Eureka from a lot of that show. He was also in Watchmen. He was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. This guy has been in a lot of cool genre stuff, and the character he's playing here is so that character from Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh, yeah, it is. It's kind of like playing these charades, like pr- pretending to be a certain person kind of a charlatan mm-hmm. kind of character. Uh, he is so good. He's really good. He's really good. And he's super creepy and he walks that line because sometimes you're not quite sure if he, you don't know what his moti- motives are and certain things. And sometimes you're like, oh, wait, he maybe he's not such a bad guy. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, he's, no, he's such bad. a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I should have trusted my first instinct. Um, and Conrad in season two 
Michelle Forbes is back. I know. I was going to let you reveal that Oh my gosh. Michelle Forbes, Rolaren from Star Trek The Next Generation, Admiral Kane from Battlestar Galactica. Oh, and I have to admit when she walked on and I, yeah. I knew she was, she was going, I didn't know exactly what role she was going to be, but I had heard that she was coming back onto the show. And when she like, when the reveal that she like walks in in this super weird outfit to, to, you know, chat with, uh, Dr. Leakey's character. I was very excited. I was just like, but I'll, you know what? I miss her Bajoran makeup on yeah, her nose. I just kind of imagine it's there. I just kind of put that there mentally using my Cylon projection <laughs> psychology. Rolaren was so hot. <laughs> so, such an awesome character. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the whole cast, I think, is really great. Um, Jordan Gavaris, who plays the uh, brother Felix, I adore this character. I love him. I loved him from, like, the first episode. He's just awesome. And such a... This is one of the things that I love about Orphan Black is you're seeing a lot of characters who you usually don't see on network television. You are, um, at least from a like um, like sexual identity and yeah. gender identity and, and that kind of thing. There's a lot of that going on. I, I feel like there isn't a ton of ethnic yep. diversity on the show, though. I mean, there is, but it's a lot of sort of tangential characters Um the you know the character of Art who plays Beth's partner. Yep, the police um, officer. The police officer, and he's his interactions with Sarah Manny are really funny because she's kind of a felon, yeah. and and she's trying <laughs> to act like this um, like this upright you know a citizen and and this cop and whatever, and he he definitely so he knows something's amiss, um, and so he's in it quite a bit in the first season, and then the second season they don't have him in quite as much, and no, so it made me kind of sad. And I also think his character is one of the most. Um, poorly developed ones. Agreed. And so, you know, and I feel, I felt like that with a few of those characters. Yeah. Just, you know, they start to come in and you're like, oh, you know what? I really want to see more of that character. And then you just don't. You don't. And this is where, I, I mean, I've got such, um, I've got mixed feelings about that. Because, all right, so we've got a female lead who's in practically every shot right. of the show. It seriously must be exhausting. Oh, it it, it, it must be exhausting. But it's, not only is she the female lead, but then it's kind of passing this reverse Bechdel test too, where not only do you have a lot of female characters, and you've got you've got women in leadership roles and all of that with Michelle Forbes' character, um, but you also have most of the male characters are constantly talking about the female character. I know it is the reverse, which is is totally awesome. It is so awesome. It's so awesome, and you have you ha- like you said, you've got sexuality where we've got a gay character. We've, we've got, got a, more than we've one got, gay character. We've got more than one gay. character. Character. We have a transgender clone okay. now, mm-hmm. Tony, who was revealed. And I like what Tatiana Maslany had to say about this. She, She's quoted in this interview as saying, We sort of embrace the idea of every human having the potential to be anything. And I think that opens a door for all kinds of dialogues about sexuality and about gender. And it's exciting material that is not always on screen in a respectful way. And I don't mean respectful in the sense of martyrdom. I mean respectful in the sense of flawed, complex performances and characters. And right, because her brother um, Felix, or Fee as she calls him, I mean, he is, well, he's a fantastic character overall. But he's also, like, doing some crazy stuff. Like, he has, like, some real relationships, but he's also kind of moonlighting as a male (laughs) escort. Um, And then you have um, uh, Cosima. Yeah, Cosima. Cosima, sorry. Cosima, Cosima. Um, And she, you know... You say Cosima, mm, I say Cosima. 
Um, Wait, that was the same thing. Yeah, but she <laughs> she develops this kind of uh, like interesting relationship with this person who's supposed to be her monitor. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's they there are actual sex scenes within this show. Um, with all the characters, and this is something you don't, you hear them, like, you often have gay characters, but you don't often see them have these kinds of scenes together. Yeah, and there's, some people have pointed out Cosima's character and saying, well, hold on, there's a lot of clones here, are they saying that, um, sexual orientation is a choice, that Cosima chose this, and Tatiana responded to this, too, and said, by no means are we saying that Cosima chooses to be gay. I think we're saying um, anything... I think we're not saying anything in terms of choice in biology. What we're saying is anyone can be anything. And I think what the show is really showing us is there's there's a broad spectrum Mm -hmm. to human behavior. There's a broad spectrum to sexuality and sexual orientation. Um, this is stuff that's been talked about in in science for a long time with the Kinsey scale, and we're not necessarily um, gay or straight, but there's a spectrum to this. And I think that's what the show is trying to say with these clones is there's a spectrum to behavior. And it's a complex interaction between nature and nurture, and, and I know we're going to get into that. But I think what we've been dancing around an issue, and we need to talk about this issue, which is the awesomeness of Tatiana Maslany. Oh, well, I don't, there's no dancing around it. She is awesome. I mean, I, even the first season when I was watching it, I was just totally impressed because you do feel like you're watching a different character. And even when they interact together, it feels like you're watching different characters. I don't, it's, I don't really feel like I ever had a moment where I was like, oh, that's the same person talking to the same person. Like the effects are very good, um, but she is phenomenal. And I don't know how she keeps the characters straight. I mean, I know I have heard her talk about it. But even hearing her talk about it, I feel like it must be such a daunting task. It's been so interesting to watch her interviews because when I started watching the show, I thought, okay, this is a British actress, probably. She's not. She's Canadian. (laughs) And then I was like, okay, so how does she keep this all straight? And she's talked about how she develops these different playlists for each character. And before filming the scenes, she has a playlist. So she says, Sarah's playlist is full of The Clash, whereas Allison's is full of Broadway musicals, which I just (laughs) love that idea. Um, So that is really cool. And um, I also think it's it's cool how they do this. Um, wh- she's won a bunch of awards. She, she's been snubbed for an Emmy, but she has won a bunch of awards for her acting in Orphan Black. And she always thinks, um, she doesn't call her her body double or her fill-in or whatever, but she calls, I think, her acting partner, the person who does fill-in for her. And so they film these scenes with the other person playing the other clone, and with a blue screen in the back, and then they switch it out and reverse it, and then they do it again with a camera on this um, sort of uh, motor that's replicating the exact same shots, and then they blend it all in together. So a lot of fancy effects are at play, but you don't see the effects. No, you don't. It's It's flawless. It really is, and impressive. You believe that Tatiana's talking to Tatiana. Right. Or Sarah's talking to Allison or Cassandra. And not, and not just talking, but there's there's a lot of physical interaction as well. And I'm sure that's where the, the acting partner comes in. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of physical interaction, especially with the character of Helena. Mm-hmm. Um, Helena. They touch each other. They punch each yeah, other. They, they fight with each other. It's very... Other. Um, and it's, it's seamless. It's really incredible. Um, so... 
uh, I really enjoy it. And, you know, it's, we're talking a little, I just wanted to circle a little bit back to the diversity question again in terms, you know, one thing that it is, is that, um, that really makes me happy to see on the show. It isn't just that you're having these characters portrayed or on a show or present or whatever. It's that they're playing leads. Like I would say Felix is very much a lead in this show. Um, and you know, to have this many female leads and not just the characters, not just the clones, but also the character played by a couple the monitor, the, the woman that plays, um, that plays, uh, Cosima's girlfriend and monitor, you know, you've got a lot of, uh, you've got a lot of people involved, um, that you don't normally see in the conversation or in the general conversation um, in other shows. So, so I have to say kudos to the creators of this particular show for that. Absolutely. So Conrad, speaking of all this diversity and all these diverse characters, do you have a favorite clone? You know, I have a few favorite clones and it's hard for me to choose, but I definitely think that Allison is a favorite of mine. Oh my gosh, me too. I she's just, my favorite character. She's such a weird character and she tries so hard to be so good and perfect and yeah. she's just totally flawed and weird and the way that she gets to certain conclusions is kind of incredible. I really adore her interactions with Fee. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Those are some of my favorite interactions. Those, that, those are two characters you typically don't see on a TV show together. The sort of suburban housewife with this um this young gay male semi escort at night slash artist and all of that i think she um allison has the most interesting arc in the show she does and then she has really interesting interactions with her husband who is her monitor yeah um it turns out that that's for a while for a while and and you know, she she just has these really interesting reactions to, to finding out this news. At one point, she she ties him up and, yeah. and you know, and then says, oh, forget that ever happened. Like, yeah, just yeah. really weird stuff and like that. And he kind of goes along with it, which is which is also interesting, um, uh, his character. And th- this is one of the things I really liked about the second season is um, Allison's husband, the his arc and what happens to him. As he begins to realize that he's a monitor and what Doctor what Doctor Leakey has been involved in, he ends up being that spoiler here. He ends up being the guy who ends up killing Doctor Leakey accidentally. Well, right. And it's also I, one thing that I really like what the show does is that with certain characters like him, he was kind of a throwaway character in the first season. Not throwaway. I mean, he was there and. You know, you kind of were wondering whether, you know, what dark and devious things he was doing and really suspected him. But he was definitely not a well-developed character by any means. And then in season two, he really starts to come to the forefront and his interactions with Allison become much more interesting to the point where they are literally burying bodies together. And that exercise is hilarious. In their garage. yeah, Right. Uh, So it's just sort of like this weird suburban couple that, you know, just ends up in this bizarre situation and this is a reaction to it and the fact that he becomes this character that you start to really like yeah and that you even care about is amazing to me so they totally. did a, they did a really nice job evolving and that's him. where they avoided the star trek voyager problem um star trek voyager its most interesting characters were all the women 
but the male characters really were vastly underdeveloped. They were very boring. Very boring. And the show really started out in that direction. Um, I think even some of the clones at first start out as pretty generic characters, but I think that was more intentionally done, where Allison is this stereotypical suburban mother, soccer mom. Cosima is this, you know, we go to Cosima for science stuff, and she gives us science stuff. But as the show goes on, you realize there's a lot more to these clones, and they have in- interesting arcs. But but the the side characters do end up getting developed more in the second half of season one, and especially in season two, all except at think Beth Childs' partner, the police yeah, officer. Yeah, unfortunately, he, he kind of drops get... off the radar a bit. And, you know... And He's it's... also always got this furrowed brow, too. I want him to, like, smile or do something he else. He has one face, which is just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. oh, man, Art, come on, dude. Yeah. And I do, I mean, I was excited because he starts to interact a little bit with Fee, and I was like, okay, does this mean we're going to get to see yeah. a more fun side to him? And we just still don't see that much. Um, but I also like Helena, because she's so insane and eating all the time. I I don't want to like Helena, but I kind of do. Why why do we like this character? I don't know because she's sort of endearing even though she's a total psychopath. Like she's nuts and there's some satisfaction I think because I don't know, her morals are generally sound. It's like she's kind of been she's kind of been led down this crazy path by this religious sect. She She's definitely had a really rough childhood. Yeah. And we find out a lot more of that and kind of guess a lot more of that as we see her being um, taken with the, what is the pro... pro- the the Prolethians? Lethians. Yeah, that, that storyline is creepy. And then there is some level of satisfaction when she takes revenge yeah. on them for what they have done to her. Oh my gosh, when she... And it's very upsetting and disturbing yeah. whenever whenever Helena gets involved. It's a little bit upsetting to see her physical uh, involvement in certain things because she doesn't <laughs> take any prisoners. It's, How does this thing work? Yes, it's a little <laughs> bit disturbing, but there's something about it that you're just like, great, burn that barn down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, so I, I kind of like her. Uh, Cosima, I really like. She is definitely Bill's favorite character. Yeah, yeah. Does um, does your lady watch this with you? No, she doesn't. Um, uh, New Anne does not watch Orphan Black. She spends that time, um, I don't know, streaming something off Netflix. <laughs> um, she doesn't watch it. But what 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 I like there about these different clones is there really isn't one I don't like i really liked uh although we only see him for one episode i really liked tony the transgender clone um i had mixed feelings about him i thought it was an interesting idea but he just kind of shows up and and i don't know you see you see kind of a silliness because he has all of sarah's worst characters as fee uh, character yeah, yeah, yeah. Char- sorry characteristics as fee says <laughs> and then just goes off into the night and you don't see any more so it was kind of like it's a tease we're gonna see more of tony in the future you think we will because i think think it was just an excuse to make tatiana wear a beard (laughs) well yeah well it might be and uh, we'll find out in hopefully what we get in season three um but what i I like one of my favorite parts of this show is is seeing the clones impersonate each other yes because gosh tatiana is so freaking talented as an actress. So there's scenes where she is playing, where Allison, so Tatiana is acting as Allison acting as Sarah. Right. <laughs> or I forget who's impersonating Cosima. I think it was Sarah impersonating Cosima at the, um, at, at, at the party. At the party. Um, it's so 
funny and it's so good. And apparently there's someone um, on the production side whose job it is to coach Tatiana's game. Well, no, actually, that the way you moved your hair there, that was more of a Sarah way of moving <laughs> her hair. And Allison would actually do it like this. So she has a lot of support. But but how does she not lose her mind? Oh, my goodness. I it's got to be frustrating sometimes to, you know, to be walking. And I was wondering if they were filming some of this, like maybe this part of the day you're only filming this character and this part of the day the other character but I don't think that they can do it that way no no um, so she's really that would incredible. cost way too much yeah. I think these are very long hour days or long hour these are long hours of production and filming they're mm-hmm. filming from the morning to the evening same scenes over and over again um, and yeah I think along with Allison my favorite my other favorite character um, is probably Sarah and Sarah, as you were talking about earlier, Conrad, is this anti-hero. So uh, this is, I'm not going to lie, and I'm not, I'm not going to out the person, but I was talking to someone about um, Orphan Black and describing it. And their response to me was, eh, I'm so tired of all these kind of female action-y shows, which produced a lot of nerd rage for me because there's not many. I was like, what are you talking about? Right. He's like, well, Dollhouse and Buffy. I was like, can you name any more than that? And right. how many male action sci-fi shows can you talk about? But I think there is... Well, uh, and also mentioning those two specific shows that are, have been now off the air for, for so long. For a very long time. Yeah. So The Mary Sue had a great article about um, gender bias with these anti-heroes and how um, if Sarah was a male character, um, how differently certain people would, would see that character and there wouldn't be any stigma or bias against uh, against the character. But I, I think some people do have this bias against female anti-heroes that they don't necessarily have for male anti-heroes. I don't know if this has come up in your, your discussion with other people, but it's... Um, it has, and, you know... I think one of the things that this show does very well, especially with the the clone characters, I mean, they are trying to figure out why they are in existence. And they are trying to basically unravel a mystery and figure out why this dyad corporation is so involved in their lives and Dr. Leakey is so involved in their lives. They don't really know why they're there. They don't know who was the person that basically brought them into existence. Um, and they've been spread out, um, like all over the place, raised yep. by different people. It's obviously some kind of an experiment. Um, that was my, my thought at first. That right. This is all a social, yeah, sort of, like some a psycholo- kind of weird exp- psychological experiment. I mean, there has to be a reason why they've put them all out there, but don't want to let go of them. Like wh- why they have people watching them so closely. That was actually the one time when Nguyen did pipe in and she's like, so why are they doing all this? And I said, I don't know, but I think it's just one big psychological experiment. And she laughed at me. She's like, of course you, the psychologist would, would think, think that, yeah. but I think something more at play so Um, but one thing that they do really well with these characters and one thing that i truly appreciate is that there's nobody that's totally perfect even the perfect person and i think that they're trying to say that a lot um all of these characters have flaws or weaknesses to some effect yeah um i think the one that you get the sort of the most uh well-adjusted one is probably cosima um but overall uh, but even she has flaws like they're all very human 
Yeah, she got into a relationship with someone who she had a good idea is probably her monitor. Right. So that's not very healthy behavior. (laughs) But but overall, I think all, you know, how they portray these characters and write these characters is that they all are human and they have flaws. They all and they all have good sides, too. And I think that that's also why Helena, even though we really think she's terrifying also kind of like her because she's got yeah. these these she's protective of children she right. was protective of the the girl in the weird place um with the Prolethean, she was protective of Kira, actually, a little bit, even though she kidnapped her. <laughs> but, I mean, I think for a lot of people, this is a different way of seeing women portrayed yeah, on television it is. and in, in film as well. I just think they're very used to, especially women action heroes or women, you know, if it's like a sci-fi show, they're either a badass or they're the shrinking violet. Mm-hmm. Or they're the love interest, or mm-hmm. but they're not usually all these things. I think Battlestar did a pretty good job at doing this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, not all cases, but mm-hmm. um, I think I think that that's why people have such a harsh reaction. They're not used to seeing these kinds of traits in a female lead character. Yeah, I think that's why there some people do react strongly to this, and um, it's unfortunate that they're missing out on a show that is. I think probably the best science fiction on TV right now. I know that's wow, a, that's a heavy statement. It's a heavy statement. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> that's why I was like, I was weighing out the sort of potential for nerd rage of of saying that statement on on the show. But um, I do think it is one of the smartest, most interesting science fiction shows on TV. Um, it's got some really interesting ideas about identity and nature and nurture and how people become who they are, which I, didn't, I know we're about to get into. Um, but the the way it is, um, the complexity at which it is um, honoring these characters, I'm not seeing that on any other genre um, show right now on on TV. Um, I ju- maybe Walking Dead does yeah. Walking Dead does a pretty good job of that. Um, and I'd like to believe that Doctor Who does too, but it's not quite there. It's not there. Um, it's not there. And, you know, uh, pretty much mostly everything on network TV, uh, with ABC, Fox, NBC, um, CBS, the main studios, it's more of the traditional stuff. I think this is, uh, this is very much following in the footsteps of Battlestar Galactica. The producers of this show should really be commended. They were inspired by Battlestar, and I think they've definitely honored the sci-fi aspect of Battlestar, which really did give us complexity with gender mm-hmm. and with portrayals of identity. So get it with that, what what interests you about some of the ideas of identity and, and how it's portrayed and what they're trying to say about um, how we become the person that we become. Well, this is, I think, the things that they are exploring are very much nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. So you have these characters. They've they've been raised all in very different situations. Some have been, had very advantaged lives. Some have not. And just because you have an advantaged life in this show doesn't mean that you are the best character in terms of your morality. Um, and even the characters that had some very abusive and um, horrific pasts like Helena or Helena. Is it Helena or Helena? I think it's Helena. A couple people say different things. Just call her Sestra. Sestra. (laughs) Um, But even though she's had this horrific past, 
it doesn't mean she is incapable of doing good, as we've seen. As you said, she's kind to children. She does protect some of the other characters at different points. She is sometimes extraordinarily misguided, it is true, and and attacks them as well. But she is an example, you know, and, and sort of lining these different characters up against each other. You have to really think about the question, you know, does it, is it all about your genetics is that is it all sort of mapped out because of of the genome that you have going on there or is, or your genetic code that you've got going on there or is it purely based upon the environment that you're raised in and and this is where i think the producers they really did their homework because mm-hmm. as um as a psychologist watching this show i'm like wow they're they're hitting all the right notes you know right. we, a big part of our temperament um and our personality a lot of that is genetically inherited um and then environment shapes so many different aspects of our lives from how we speak our accent our appearance um what we learn all of those kind of things our preferences our preferences exactly um and the interesting thing i thought about this show because and i and it was just like just right out there because a lot of the time they do these sorts of studies with identical twins yeah (laughs) and uh specifically um helena and sarah they are identical twins they were carried in the same womb helena's organs are flipped right but they Um, they did um they are um, from the same egg that split. Right. Yeah. right. Um, and I, I felt like it was very much their commentary on those kinds of studies. Oh, totally. I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, some of these twin studies are interesting where people do, um, you know, twins separated at birth that find themselves 20 years later, same job, occupation. They both have the same mustache. They kind of like have the same interests and all of that. And, you know, and sometimes not. And there's sometimes differences. And I also like that this show is... um as Tatiana said in these interviews, it's about um, how we all have the potential to be whoever we want to be. It's speaking to the whole idea of epigenetics, which is mm-hmm. a fascinating area in, in genetics where, you know, um, going all the way back to the discovery of DNA and the double helix, we used to think that um, genetics was your destiny. And now we know that there's whole this whole other sort of genome that sits right outside, which controls the expression right. of genes and whether or not that gene for cancer is turned on, whether or not this is turned on. Well, also psychological issues yep. like schizophrenia or Absolutely. depression. And yep. it can all those things can be related to different events that happen in your life. And if you don't have those events happen or maybe you have a very like very supportive uh, structure around you in terms of your family and friends, you might have the you might have those sort of markers or that those proclivities, but it doesn't necessarily express itself eventually. It yeah, it's like the stoplight um, is it stays off for that one. If you are able to develop skills or an environment that helps you overcome some of these challenges, so it, it's really honoring that. So it, um, I really I loved all those ideas, and I think it also plays into. Um, some of these ideas of code switching and language um, where, you know, you and I talk differently to each other than we do to nephews or nieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk differently than in, than we do to our nephews and nieces than we do our parents. We we do this code switching. We talk, we literally talk in a different language in different contexts. Mm-hmm. And I think this, the show kind of talks about that and um, from a different perspective where I think... 
Tatiana is probably so good at portraying these different characters because she is she speaks so many different languages. She was she grew up in Canada, went to a French immersion school, also knows how to speak German, also knows how to speak Spanish. And we know people who are bilingual or trilingual, they're better at code switching. They're much better at changing the way they act and talk and think in different contexts. So I think that's why Tatiana might be such an amazing actress. Well, she is truly incredible. Fantastic. I hope after Orphan Black ends, she has a very long career in in a wide variety of genres because she is she's an amazing actress. I was actually thinking that as I was watching the second season is that I really can't wait to see what she does next. Yeah. And I hope she does. I hope she doesn't disappear which sometimes happens, unfortunately. Which sometimes does happen. I, I, I really hope this show does get a bigger audience. I think it's still not quite there yet. It, it I think a lot of uh, a lot of people in the in the geek community know about the show, and I think it's getting more acclaim. People are talking about it much more. But well, they also had a much bigger ad campaign for the second season. They did. We saw which, this on the subways over here. Right, right. We saw those orphan black ads with the the cool silhouette, mm-hmm. um, and I think Bill even did like a version of that on, on his. Actually, blog. he had done that before. What the ad campaign came out? Yes. Oh, that's so cool. And then somebody sent him a photo, and he said, "Orphan black ripping me off," but. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually doing this based on this was a, a different um, there was there were there are vintage photos that are done that way, yeah. which is why he was doing it. So that's, that's pretty but cool. But apparently he and the orphan black ad. They campaign. ripped him off. <laughs> they <laughs> were they were inspired by Billy, photographer Bill Wadman's uh, work. And, uh, you know, the other thing it's it speaks to how it's nature and nurture and right. it's it's genes and experience. And and we know all that stuff. But it's also speaking to. Um, the I think one of the big issues of the 21st century, which is going to be genetic engineering, mm-hmm. it's going to be privacy. It is going to be um, a lot of these big picture identity questions of what happens when humans begin um, technologically modifying ourselves, uh, right. which has already started. Uh, it has, and there's also been similar objections. So one of the one of the groups in this show that is is a force is this religious group um called the prolethians yep and they have the idea in their head at least in the beginning of the show is that they think that the clones are abominations so they are looking to wipe them all out and they've basically brainwashed helena in order to do that like helena they have lied to they have brainwashed they have trained her to basically take out all of the other clones yep. and she is under the impression that she's the original that the, all the copies yeah. are made from which is not true yeah um and she ends up basically turning sides uh, changing sides because sarah is her twin and she realizes it and then how can she be the original if sarah's her twin yeah so it's it's an interesting twist and you hear some of their rhetoric I'm wondering, we haven't heard a lot of it. We saw a lot of, little bit of it in the show, and it's um, some of the portrayal. It, it's a little bit of a um, Waco, Texas. Yeah, it does uh, feel like that. David Koresh-type atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and I, they didn't go too much into it. You kind of get the gist of it during the show, but I wonder if we're going to see more in the third season. So, you know, it's so if we're talking about choice, if um, if a woman or a man or anyone chooses to have a baby, um, chooses to adopt, whatever it might be, that's fine. 
And if someone um, chooses not to, that's fine as well. It doesn't make them any, any less of a person. Sometimes with this show, I get a little bit of that feeling that there is this, um, uh, that, that stereotypical idea that you're not a real woman unless you have a child. I don't know. I think maybe a couple of people have that idea on the show, but I think part of it is about choice and the fact that they have been engineered to take that choice away from them. Uh, so the so if we're getting back to fem- feminism and being able to have all choices in front of you and being able to make any choice possible, these clones, these women have had that choice removed. Right. And I mean, with Rachel's frustration and looking like her increasing creepiness in terms of this issue... I don't know that she'd necessarily make a great mom. No, no, she wouldn't. But <laughs> I think that the I think that the reason why she's very upset about this is because she is she has everything else and she wants this too. She is very much somebody that takes no prisoners in any aspect of her life. Yeah. She's very manipulative and when she can't get something she wants, she has a tantrum. And I think that this is why she is so upset that she can't have a kid. Yeah, the choice has been removed. You just totally change my view of that whole thing, Conrad. So it's it, I think it is completely a very feminist show again, because um, it is about that choice being removed. And also, even Sarah had Kira. Kira has not been raised by Sarah, because no. Sarah has made some truly terrible parenting decisions. Um, but it's, you know, I, I think it's interesting exploring those ideas in a way that other shows have not, because they're very clear about the fact that Sarah is not... She's trying to redeem herself and become a better mother to Kara. She obviously loves her, but that is not what she has. She has not been there as a real parent to her for a very long time. Well, okay, so um, we've talked a lot about clones. Now we know there are not just female clones. There's male clones. Oh, my goodness. Season three. We're going into this new direction. Um, Helena's been abducted by the Again. military. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's always abducted. <laughs> she always, uh, that poor Sestra. She's always winds up in all this trouble. Where do you think this show is headed? I think we actually have to find out what this whole program is about, because we still don't really know. I mean, it's obvious that the male clones have been used for military use, so that makes sense in some ways. So if they're trying to build the ideal soldier is what I kind of was thinking. Um, But why do they need the female clones is the question. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a big, big question here. Um, I'm also wondering if... um, you know, certain clones are born self-aware, um, and we saw that with Rachel. She was sort of self-aware from the beginning that she was a clone. I'm wondering, are these males self-aware? How many more female clones are there? What are the ultimate big goals? I think season three is going to explore more of those questions, and we're going to get into this more. More of that conspiracy is going to be revealed, and especially with Michelle Forbes now kind of headlining this this evil corporation. Go I can't Rolarin and a little bit of Admiral Kane. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait for the season three premiere. I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Well, I think we are ready to head into the infinite crossover chamber. What do you say? Let's warp speed nine into the infinite crossover Welcome chamber. To the infinite crossover. <laughs> Is that the... <laughs> 
<laughs> nice Elena theme music. That's Elena theme music. That makes me so crazy every time I hear it. Um, on NPR's pop uh, pop culture show, they call they compared it to the Britney Spears Toxic song. It does sound a little bit like that. It does that. sound uh, dun, 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 toxic. Um, all right, Conrad, who do we have in the crossover chamber today? In the crossover chamber, we are pitting... Orphan Black against Dollhouse. And the question I believe that we're asking today is, what's the better conspiracy? Well, I i mean, I think this is going to be a pretty short crossover chamber from from my point of view. I, are, you you know, s- are you saying that because Dollhouse is a bad show? <laughs> yes. And I, you know, I want it to be a good show. I gave it a chance. You know, Joss Whedon shows, a lot of times you have to give it a little bit of a warm up. And, you know, Firefly was one of those shows, so it was Buffy. Firefly and, did not need much of a warm-up. Well, Firefly had the disadvantage that they they were airing the episodes in the incorrect order, so you weren't yes. fully under you weren't fully getting those characters. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. Um but I like I kept waiting for Dollhouse to get better and it had a lot of actors that I really liked in it, so I was yeah. very I was very sad that it just kept going nowhere and it was super strange so you know dollhouse is a show um starring eliza dushku who plays echo and it's this organization where you can sort of plug in and plug out um memories and personalities and for whatever purpose you want whether it is um hiring someone to play your girlfriend for a special birthday party or to hire someone who is an assassin um whatever it is you can plug in personalities into these sort of dolls um and the show is about the purpose of that the conspiracy of that and i think it goes in some interesting directions eventually it's got a few unaired um dystopian far future episodes with felicia day if i remember correctly and those episodes were very interesting but they didn't air, and Fox never aired the pilot either to the show, which also made it confusing to understand what's going on. So, I th- But it was also, oddly enough, exploring some of the same things. What makes you a person? What makes you the person you are? Yeah. Is there anything there if yeah. those things are removed? Is there always a bit of yourself? And so it was exploring some of the same themes, and I feel like Orphan Black was almost dollhouse, but grown up a little bit it was grown up it also wasn't this misogynistic sort of male fantasy right. which i really felt like dollhouse, dollhouse felt that like way like joss whedon i love you man but what 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 happened with dollhouse it felt so um so misogynistic right so i mean and then the mystery itself was just kind of uh, you you got little bits of it um when you were you were kind of seeing different characters reveal pieces and then there was the rogue dollhouse agent yeah um but it didn't it didn't ever completely gel for me and i wasn't really all that interested in the mystery no and with orphan black i definitely am no epitaph one was the dystopian episode the unaired one and it was interesting it got into those ideas but then um then the show got renewed, and so that 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 episode was sort of designed as a finale, Joss Whedon's way of saying, okay, here's where we were going, but Fox renewed it, and the Fox president of entertainment basically said, yeah, I, we weren't going to renew it, but 
I just renewed it because I knew if we canceled the show after season one, I was going to get 100 million emails again from Joss Whedon fans. So we got a second season. The budget really went down and it showed um, and it still didn't gel. And we got another one of those dystopian finales that sort of wrapped up what the storyline was going to be. Um, It just didn't work. And this is a thing where... If you look at a lot of older shows, if you look at uh, the first couple of seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation, they're pretty bad. They're not good seasons of television, but uh, Paramount was able to stick with it and the show improved and all of that. And uh, some of the classic shows are like this. We're now in an era where you can't get by really having a bad season or two bad seasons. No, Things definitely need to not. gel and work together. And they didn't on, on Dollhouse. I think... Orphan Black, to bring it back to um, Orphan Black, the I, I think it, it needs about five episodes you have to dedicate to get into it, where before that it does seem like it's this stereotype tropes of different genres, but once the clones start meeting each other and the mystery starts to unfold... When you send in the clones and they have their big <laughs> conference. When you send in the clones. Um, by the way, speaking of send, sending in the clones, that final dance number... The, the clone dance party at the so end. So amazing. I think it was just to show off their ability to do special <laughs> yeah. effects, but it was pretty funny. Yeah, there's. we'll link to it in the show notes. There's some great um, uh, pictures they posted on Twitter, and they talked about how they, they did kind of just want to have a whole dance party with the production crew and the actors, and they just kind of made that a scene um i did but, like how helena was like dancing around so like weird a, she's dancing around like an animal and like eating her dress it was just like the weirdest <laughs> yeah. thing ever that was what's cool about it seeing the different personalities i like allison's um personality where felix is like come on dance with me and then she's like oh no i, I i'm okay I, I'm, I'm just gonna sit here and he's like oh no come on and then she likes ends up like grinding him a little. of course she did because she's allison yeah so um you know Orphan Black is more fun. It's not misogynistic. It's got, we don't know where the show is going, but we're still interested. And I think that is why Orphan Black wins this crossover. Well, you and I are having a mind melt here because I totally agree with you. I think you and I and everyone who watches this or listens to this show is going to have a mind melt on this. (laughs) Dollhouse was um, It was tragically bad. Yeah. It could have been so much more, but it wasn't. Um, Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think that we're in agreement here. Orphan that, Black. This may be the fastest crossover in the West. We're in agreement, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, with that, we're exiting the infinite crossover chamber. <laughs> Helena alert. Um, okay, we are going into top five female assassins. Yes. Their assassins play a very big role in Orphan Black and in other shows, too. Um, in other films. <laughs> In various shows, there are assassins. Oddly enough, there's a lot of clone assassins, which we were going to make the top five, top sure. five clone assassins, yeah. but I, I feel like it's just leaving out too many, too many good female assassins. Yeah. I just didn't want, I want to widen the playing field a little bit. At first, I thought this was, you, you had this idea, and at first I thought it was going to be a hard category, and then when I started really thinking about it, I'm like, oh man, there are a lot of female assassins out there. So I'm really excited to hear about your list, Conrad. Um, what's your number five? Um, my number five is Hannah, which was a film that came out in uh, 2011. And it is about a 16-year-old assassin who has been trained by her father. And she kind of goes out on a mission. She's played by Saoirse Ryan. 
and you should watch it. It's fun. I haven't seen this. It's called Helen? Hannah. Hannah. I don't know why I got Helen from. Hannah, I haven't heard about this at all. It's a fun, it, not a fun watch. It's an interesting watch. Okay, interesting. Um, but it's, it's it, you know, I don't know that it got a ton of um, play, but I, I think it's a fun assassin. I'll have show. to add it to my uh, never-ending queue. Um, all right, my number five is from a video game. It is from the best female assassin, probably the first female assassin in a video game. It's Samus from Metroid. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's a good um, one. I, I love this uh, character because this character, uh, Samus, is this ex-galactic Federation soldier who becomes an intergalactic bounty hunter. And, of course, she has all the awesome powers of being able to turn into the small ball and has cool weapons and all of that, but has the most epic reveal in all of video game history where with the first Metroid that came out in 1986, you're playing as this character, and it's awesome, and blah, 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 and you're like, yeah, he's so cool. And then you get to the very end of the game, Samus reveals herself to be a woman, and that shocked so many minds and was an amazing reveal. So um, one of Nintendo's great video game franchises and one of um, one of video game's first female heroes. Cool. I like it. Thank you. Uh, Quite number, proud of that one. <laughs> number four. Yeah. All right. I'll go with my number four. Uh, my, my number four is the cartoon Eon Flux. Ah, nice. Yeah. That's a really good one. She's good. She is good and it's really weird it's it's this dystopian police state future um it aired in the 90s on mtv late at night if i remember i think yes. i had to stay up late yes. to watch it it was like in the same era as like spawn yeah yeah it was and cool. beavis and butthead mm-hmm. um and I, I remember like i had to like look both ways and make sure no one else in my family was around when I was watching the show because it was heavily sexualized. Oh, yeah. She a was lot of definitely... like fetishism, a yeah. lot of violence. This was a very raw show. I felt like it was very much ahead of its time, and I, I liked it for a lot of the dystopian sci-fi elements. There was a movie it, with Charlize Theron. It was eh, not down. good. Not much good. like the Spawn live-action film, it was also let yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the the cartoon, no, the was cartoon really was good. interesting, and I think that it holds was, that up. was in my honorable mentions. Cool. So. What's your number four? Um, my number four. Apparently, I like young women who are like hitmen um your assassins <laughs> but i p- picked uh hit girl from kick-ass yeah. good good pick and yeah. um hit girl was played by Minnie mccready she was really really good and she was just uh, some of the scenes with her were my favorite scenes and i kind of didn't really care about anybody else i just wanted to see more hit girl so <laughs> that is my number four is she still awesome in in the sequel? I never saw it. I honestly the, didn't see the sequel. Yeah. Um, it, Horrible the, reviews. The reviews were terrible, but also, I don't know, it, it just didn't sit well with me, even the trailers that I did see of it, so I admit I haven't seen it. But people, listeners, if you liked it, convince me otherwise. Let us know, yeah. Uh, number three, my number three is Mara Jade from the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Hmm. Um, so she's a cool character. She's introduced in the fantastic... Um, uh, Thrawn trilogy, um, and I, I love the graphic novel for that. If if anyone hasn't 
read it, uh, pick up the graphic novel by Dark Horse. It's it's amazing. And it was the um, the hallmark of the Star Wars expanded universe before the Star Wars expanded universe was sort of <laughs> destroyed by Disney um, in the last few months. I mean, it's not destroyed. It's still there, but it's no longer sort of considered canon. But Mara's character kind of starts out as this smuggler who was working with the Emperor, was a special agent for Emperor Paul Patain. And goes through an interesting arc, really develops a relationship with Luke Skywalker. I won't spoil what happens to the character for those of you who haven't really followed it. Um, But is a really interesting female character in the Star Wars universe, who I think still looking at uh, Princess Leia and Princess... Um, Amidala, um, who are like the only two female characters in Star Wars. I know we're getting a lot more in Star Wars Episode 7, but up to this point, I think Mara is still one of the most interesting char- female characters in Star Wars. Arguably, maybe the most interesting. Cool. You're number three, Conrad. Uh, my number three was Death from uh, the Sandman series. Sandman, yet again. Well, I know, I know. But I couldn't <laughs> leave her out because she is super cool. And she yeah. is the personification of Death um, or the Grim Reaper. So not quite an assassin, but kind of an assassin. So I admit, it's stretching it a bit. But she is. Uh, she had her own. She had a couple issues on her own. And, and she was just a really fun character. And she makes appearances in in various weird, different ways um, and mentions in certain things. So she was in American Gods, which is the the Uh, book that he wrote, too. Um, Or there's there's a viewing of her in there. She doesn't actually talk. So interesting. Um, So it's just a fun character um, to have her kind of running around. She was always one of my favorite characters in the Sandman series. So. I had to. I had to add her to this list. Well, your your number three might not be a complete assassin, but that's okay because my number two is not technically an assassin. All right. Uh, my number two is the Borg Queen from Star Trek: First Contact. Nice. Um, not the Borg Queen from Star Trek: Voyager. I don't think those episodes hold up as well um, as Star Trek: First Contact does. But um, this was really cool because we. For a long time, we wondered, based on the Next Generation episodes, is there a leader to mm. the Borg? And we really thought there was a hive mind, but then they sort of t- took this um, hive mind, like a like a bee sort of um, hierarchy, where there is a queen that is leading them, and she's really interesting. I think she's, she's very manipulative. She kind of um, manipulates Data a little bit, and he manipulates back, but there is this sort of sense of temptation that maybe... Data really did kind of he says this at the end of the film um, spoiler alert I guess for Star Trek First Contact if you haven't seen it but he says he was tempted for a very brief moment by her offer um, she has an interesting relationship with Jean-Luc Picard and it's sort of retconned that they had somewhat of a relationship in the famous best of both worlds Star Trek the Next Generation episodes um, really cool character really great reveal in the film where her top torso is lowered into her body um just a really fun villain who ends up killing a lot of people so that qualifies her sort of as an assassin all right i'll give it to you because i you know made the grim reaper (laughs) my my number uh three um my number number, two my number two it's a film that i saw um it came out in 1990 and it's a film by luke uh besson called La Femme Nikita. Oh, yeah! And Nikita Taylor was one of the coolest, like, assassins. 
um, kind of forced into the situation. And then later on, you saw the same character, but in an American version, played by Bridget Fonda in Point of No Return. And was um, there a TV show, too? There was also a TV show, but yeah. it's sort of, you know, the um, the the actor that played uh, Nikita Taylor in the 1990 film was um, Anne Perelot, and she is amazing. And she is definitely an anti-hero, which is why I picked her for this list, is because you start out just being like, oh my gosh, she is just such a mess. And you watch the transformation, <laughs> um, and it's it's just an interesting film. Um, and it's interesting to me because Luc Besson really does a lot of these very, like, badass female characters, which mm. is like, you know, he does La Femme Nikita, he does The Fifth Element. Oh, I love um, Fifth Element. You know, he really has that going on. Um, Lilu, I may have made this list, I couldn't quite bring myself to call her an assassin. Yeah, I don't think she's quite the assassin. But she's still very cool. Still very cool, yeah. Um, all right, I think we're going to have a mind meld on number one. Really? I've got a feeling. Really? Unless you pick one of your peculiar Conrad it's, picks. It's not a peculiar pick, and in fact, I think probably people could call this one, so maybe that's why you think we're going to have a mind meld. All right, reveal on three, two, one. The bride Beatrix, killed the Bill. bride. Yep, yep. Boom. Yeah, obvious, obvious pick. You can't not pick her. It's right. Pretty, she's pretty good. Yeah, so um, I know we've talked about her before, but why is she your top female assassin? Um, I, I think that the story is very cool, and you watch her sort of go from this really, you see, like, in a series of flashbacks and different things where she's kind of vulnerable, and then she just completely turns everything around, takes out every single person that's her enemy, but she goes through an enormous amount of pain to get there. Um, she and um, the character played by Daryl Hannah mm-hmm. um, are seriously. That has to be one of the most amazing fight scenes I've ever seen in the in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really incredible. Um, so I think, um, and I'm and I'm counting her Kill Bill Volume One and Two. So yeah, not yeah just we're one. combining the two. Um, um, but yeah, so she had to make she had to make a list. Plus, she looks pretty awesome in yellow and black leather. Yeah, she does. Um, you know, there's two reasons why she's my number one. Um, uh, number one is you stalk Uma Thurman. <laughs> um, Uma Thurman was and continues to be. A big supporter of the Bellevue Hospital Center, where hmm. I worked for a year, and um, I just missed her appearance. She always comes on um, on Christmas Day and reads books to the kids in the psych ward oh. um, and the kids in the pediatric ward. So I, I missed her that day because I had the day off, but that would have been pretty cool to, to see her. Um, no, so not only is Uma Thurman cool, and she's in one of my other favorite science fiction films, which is Gattaca. Um, really love that film. But it's she's a top assassin because interesting character who kicks a lot of butt. Um, the and action also, is really amazing. It's amazing, and I also like that you get to see her journey there. Yeah. Um, and it's just a really the, the the film is awesome. Again, it's obviously one of my favorites. Yeah, but what this can was you do? this was the clear top one. Um, got any honorable mentions this week? Um, I, I picked Michonne. Um, from Walking Dead, because I think she's pretty oh, incredible. Totally overlooked her. Yeah, good no, one. I mean, she's not. She's a zombie assassin, but she's still an assassin. Yeah. So I thought I mean, I killing think undead is still killing, right? Uh, yeah. And then I, I also she got picked, reanimated for more on that. <laughs> and I also picked a couple of um, 
there there's a few different things there's a there's a film called the heroic trio and it's like really terrible and cheesy but it's got um three amazing martial artists within it um for films anyway um and that's fun and then there's also an oldie bit of goodie lady snowblood from lady snowblood which is a 1970s martial arts film and then my last one is um from Sin City, which is uh, Devin, Devin o- a- Aoki. Aoki. Yeah, um, that was my honorable mention for me, and too. she's pretty... Uh, her her action is pretty awesome. She's, like, literally killer. Um, I chose Electra. Here's why. I know the film. Mixed reviews. However, this is the only female lead comic book film that has been made. So, gotta give some props to that. Um, the TX from Terminator 3... Um, uh, she kicks a lot of butt and gives Arnold Schwarzenegger um, quite a challenge. Um, I had to put Columbiana on this list. Fans of the show know I'm a, a big supporter of Zoe Saldana, so I had to put her on here. That's one way to put it. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, and also, um, Aurora Singh is the bounty hunter assassin from the Star Wars prequels who has a pre- has some cool appearances in Star Wars Clone Wars. So um, I had to put their, her in there as well. Cool. I know that's two Star Wars picks, but um, I had to do it. I, I did have one special mention that I just didn't put on the list because I yeah. talk about it a lot, and, yeah. he, and I had already picked uh, the Kill Bill pick, so I was like, I can't do this again. But River Tam from Serenity and Firefly, because she's a pretty pretty amazing one um and i also should say that the heroic trio features a very young michelle yo um which is pretty cool so if you don't know do you know who michelle yo is yeah yeah okay. yeah yeah um she's amazing um and this this film is just worth it for the amazingly cheesy wire work that they do for the special effects and the the martial arts so i'm glad it's you, over the top i'm glad you had uh river in there because uh the brown coats would have been pretty unhappy if, if we if we left river i know out. i know yeah so um, no, these are all great picks. Um, what a awesome twenty fifth episode, Conrad! Um, that was so much fun. I think we really nerded out about Orphan Black. Um, so let's see, people, please do let us know what you think of Orphan Black. Um, I also really want to know what people's top five lady assassins are. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, are. yeah. We want more lady assassins. Um, so you can either email us at info um, at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Find us on Twitter at NerdHour. Conrad, where can people find you on the internet this week? On the internet this week, I am Die Prince on Twitter. And you can also find me on my zombie podcast, which is Reanimated. And that's reanimatedpodcast.com. Or on Twitter, reanimatedpcast. That's right, and I am also on Twitter at Alima2, and you can find me on www.brainknowsbetter.com, where I'm the science fiction psychologist. Um, And just in a few weeks, I'll be at San Diego Comic Con, uh, the Star Trek versus psychology of star trek versus star wars panel episode four is coming back we've got two cool celebrity 
guest that we will be revealing very shortly. And I'll also be on the Psychology of Cult TV panel where we'll probably be talking a little bit about Orphan Black. So please come say hi. Um, We can also officially announce this is our 25th episode. We are going to be at New York Comic Con. Yes. We'll be doing a little bit of live Super Fantastic Nerd Hour Ring some way. We'll figure it out. Yes, but mostly we'll be walking around and... and doing lots of fun things so we if will. you're gonna be there give us a shout give us a give us a shout out we will come find you we will find us and we will nerd out together in the wonderful new york city so with that conrad um it's time to begin the next 25 episodes and until next time live long and prosper indeed <laughs>